You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. Job is one of the books that we're looking at uh, in tonight's sermon. We're in the Inspire Sermon Series, where we're looking from Genesis to Revelation at the story of the, of the Bible. And tonight, we're in the poetry books, um, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, the mystery and the wonder of God. I wonder how many of you in here, have you ever seen the play Our Town? How many people have seen the play Our Town? Yeah, so fair amount. You know, high schools tend to do it a lot because it doesn't cost a lot because there are no set pieces, right? It's done on a blank stage. Um, It maybe has some chairs that are used. Everything is pantomimed. It's a play by Thornton Wilder. I mean, it's set in this fictional town of Grover's Corner at the turn of the century. It's a play in three acts. The first act is called Daily Life. And what happens in daily life is we just meet the people in this plain little town. There's a milkman, there's two families, the Gibbs and the Webbs, they've got some kids, uh, and, and you just see them going about their daily business. Act two is called Love and Marriage. Two of these kids have grown up and they're getting married, Emily and, and George. And in act three, it's called Death and Eternity. It opens on the day of Emily's funeral. She has died in childbirth. On this side of the stage, there are nine to 12 chairs in a row. There are different people that we've met in daily life and love and marriage who have since died, who are now in the graveyard, including her mother-in-law. And the stage manager, who has been seeing us through and introducing us to Grover's Corner, is escorting Emily to her place in the graveyard. As he takes her, he makes her an offer. You can choose, if you'd like, to go back to one day of your life and watch it, relive it. Surprisingly, everyone in the graveyard tries to dissuade her. Don't do it. Do not go back. And, and, and she can't understand why. What should be so, so bad about having a chance, one last chance, to go back and, and see a day when you were alive? So she, she chooses a, a plain day, her 12th birthday. Emily goes back. She's watching everything happen on her, her 12th birthday, and she only lasts about five or seven minutes before it's too hard and too horrible, and she, she yells for the stage manager to stop it. And the reason is it goes too quickly. No one's looking at each other. They aren't really tasting what they're eating, aren't paying attention, really paying attention to what's happening, the full gravity and weight of what it is to be alive in one rather ordinary day is slipping right past them. And in one of the most famous monologues in American theater, she turns around and says goodbye for a last time to everything in Grover's Corner that she used to know, finishing it by saying, oh, earth, you're too wonderful for anybody to realize you. Then turning to the stage manager, she asks, do any human beings ever realize life while they live it? Every every minute. No, he replies. The saints and the poets, maybe they do some. The saints and the poets, maybe they do some. Today in our sermon series, we're looking at poetry because the saints and the poets in Job Job and Psalms Proverbs, Song of Songs, Ecclesiastes, Lamentations, these collected writings, they're preserved to help us to realize life while we live it, every, every minute. 
And there are books in the Bible that could be organized right along the line of Thornton Wilder's play, Our Town. Uh, there's Daily Life. That's what Proverbs are. There's Love and Marriage, Song of Songs. There's uh, Death and Eternity. Job, Lamentations, Ecclesiastes is a meditation on eternity. And then there's the book of Psalms, which is kind of the queen of the wisdom literature. It is the longest collection of writings that we have in the whole Bible. I want you to notice that the longest collection of writings we have in the whole Bible are poems. They're songs. They're prayers. It's why worship and the arts are so essential to the Christian church. And all of these work together so that we realize life, not just life, but eternal life breaking in. Because as C.S. Lewis asserts in his classic fictional work, Scoop Tape Letters, the present is the point at which time touches eternity. I don't know what you're waiting for. The present is the point at which time touches eternity. So these poetry books, which we also call the wisdom literature, are about this experience of living as God's people here and now in front of the face of God here and now, eternity breaking in to time. As Roland Murphy has written, um, the, the wisdom experience is the faith experience. So how do these books do that? Well, I think, and the one thing I want to talk about tonight is the way that these books interrupt us with God's voice again. And let's start with Ecclesiastes, and I'll show you what I mean. I'm going to be reading off of page um, 536. It's a a powerful long writing, so I'm not going to have you read it with me tonight. Um, So you can turn to it and read it if you want to in your Black Pew Bibles, or I'll read it to you. Listen to what the writer of Ecclesiastes writes. This is the word of the Lord. Ecclesiastes 1, 1 through 14. The words of the teacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the teacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What do people gain from all the toil at which they toil under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hurries to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Round and round goes the wind and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, they continue to flow. All things are wearisome, more than one can express. The eye is not satisfied with seeing or the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. I mean, is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It's already been in the ages before us. The people of long ago are not remembered. Nor will there be any remembrance of people yet to come by those who come after them. I, the teacher, when king over Israel and Jerusalem, applied my mind to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to human beings to be busy with. I saw all the deeds that are done under the sun, and see, all is vanity and a chasing after wind." This is the word of the Lord. Aren't you glad you came to worship on a sunny Sunday evening? (laughs) Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, wisdom and power of God, we don't want to throw our life after meaninglessness. So would you give us the grace by your Holy Spirit to see you, to hear you, to soften our hearts to you, to bend our wills to you, as Job did in the whirlwind. That's what we pray for tonight. 
May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Vanity, vanity, vanity. You know, Ecclesiastes was written at a time when there was kind of the slackness after early growth. Here's what I mean by that. It was written after a time there was all this enthusiasm and excitement about faith, high points, and then things just got a little empty. There was a whole bunch of religious debris and theological junk that had taken the place of the actual presence in the face of God. And so the writer just does away with the arrogance of dead religion. The way I like to uh, imagine Ecclesiastes is someone walking into one of these Bible bookstores and taking shelves of all this great advice on Christian living and simply dumping it and going on a rampage to destroy these books. Waste of money, waste of time, don't even read these. Empty religion. That's what goes on in Ecclesiastes. Because there's, there's this danger of dispensing Christian ideas and rules and promises apart from the living presence of God of just going through the motions, of promoting words, but not the one who speaks the word, not the the living word, Jesus Christ. And the writer calls all of this meaningless. You know, this is going to put you in this loop that's going to come up so empty. It's a chasing after wind. Martin Luther said of this book, it was written to, quote, simply to clear away what is mistaken for religion so that we are free to hear the word of God, end of quote. That's what the wisdom literature does. It's meant to clear away what's mistaken for religion so we can actually hear the living God. And I'm going to suggest just one way it does that tonight. I think it does that by breaking into this meaningless loop we get into that I'm going to talk about, of daily living that misses eternal life entirely. And one clue for how that works is where this is in the Bible. So if you want to, um, you can turn to the beginning to the table of contents in here. It's not on page one, surprisingly enough. But if you look at the table of contents, we have a whole bunch of books before we even get to poetry. Genesis through Esther. These are all history books, okay? These tell the story. These tell about, you know, Genesis, the high point. And then we go into Esther where it's just been destruction. There's been exile. There's nothing left. The temple's not left. The, the monarchy is gone. The, the, all of the hopes of Israel are destroyed. The land is not there. I mean, it's just devastation. So there's stories that range from ecstasy to devastation, which is about where our range is when we come into worship. And those are all on this side. In what traditionally, in the New Testament, when Jesus says the law and the prophets, it's all these books that Jesus is talking about as the law. The law isn't just a group of rules. It's all the stories. And then on the other side of the wisdom literature, starting with Isaiah through to Malachi, you've got the prophets. And the prophets were kind of the religious experts, and they're important. The prophets looked at all those stories and gave you expert analysis. Here's what went wrong. Here's what God was trying to say that none of you listened to. Here are the really good promises God is still making if you will only listen. Here's what you're called to do. And this is the loop that happens in religion. Something happens, there's an event, there's a story of God that we talk about. And then the experts over here look back at it, and give us a a call to action or an expert opinion on it. And that loop of the law and the prophets can go around just endlessly until it gets interrupted by the poetry books. Let me give you an example of this. This last week I was really um, fascinated, kind of in a a disturbed way, um, by this uh, uh, air accident, this down of the Asian flight down in San Francisco. 
I don't like to fly anyway. I was going to be flying home from Washington, D.C. midweek. And and so I just kept looking at CNN online to to check this out. And And in our news, this is what we do, isn't it? Here's the news. Here's the latest news of the event that happened in San Francisco. And now we go over here to our expert opinion from Captain Sully, who successfully crash-landed a plane on the water. We always go to Captain Sully. And, uh, and he tells us about that. The expert then tells us what should have happened, what didn't happen, they speculate, and what should happen next time. And that's the loop. And you can put any story you want to on the news into that loop. Put the recent floods and, and, and mudslides in China into that loop. Put the George Zimmerman trial into that loop. That's our loop. And I'm not slamming the media. That's a human loop. I was at dinner with a friend the other night, and I got into the loop. I was talking about what was going on at work, right? So first I tell the story of what was going on at work, and then I stepped over to give my expert prophetic opinion on what had just happened. And and I'm listening to myself talk about my day at work, and I just thought, I am so boring. This is the same story I always tell. There's just different people in it. But it's just, this is the loop. And it goes around. Now, can you imagine what would happen if in that that story on CNN, if at the point we tell the next event that happened, the news anchor then says, let's all pause for just a moment and pray. Let's all pause for just a moment and grieve. Let's pause for a moment and celebrate the really good things we just heard. Let's pause for just a moment and, 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 and listen. And then we'll go over and listen to the reflection back on it. What would happen in these stories of your life that you tell with each other about work, about your marriage, uh, about, about, about life, if in between this loop of the stories that happened and your expert reflection on it, you paused to celebrate? Just had a fantastic time away at, at, at Shasta or at Camp Spaulding. Here's all the great stuff we want to make sure and do again next year. And then at some point in the middle, you pause and you give praise. Because this is good. Just received devastating news about one of our brothers that we lost on his way to a Young Life camp. We naturally think through the, the horror of that accident and the things that are going to happen in their lives as a result. And what happens if we pause in between that to grieve? To simply sit. To pray. It interrupts it. Eternity interrupts into time. And there's a space for the living wisdom and power of God, Jesus, to step into the loop and put meaning into what could be meaningless. The reality is the law is important. The reality is the prophets are essential. And Jesus said, neither one of these are going away. The stories and the reflection are part of what it is to be human. But without me in the middle, it's meaningless. Remember Jesus in the New Testament? You can have the law and you can have the prophets and you can just keep going in this loop. But until you put me in the center, until I interrupt you, it will be meaningless religion. And once I interrupt you, with celebration, with grieving, with daily choices, with prayers, with, with sex and ecstasy and, and marriage and life and death and, and devastation and, and meeting you in all those places. Once I'm there in them, everything changes. Everything changes. But only once I'm there. This is the wonder of poetry.
And if we miss it, we're just stuck in that meaningless loop. So that's the whole point of today that I want to get across. That these poetry books are a much needed interruption and you need this interruption. I don't know what you walked in with, but you need this interruption. That this interruption is essential between the law and the prophets, between life and faith in daily living and in love and in marriage and in death and eternity. And when we seek Christ, the interruption becomes an intersection where time and eternity meet. Once we learn how to live and pray and celebrate and grieve and listen in that intersection, then it isn't simply that we're inspired by these books of poetry. Our lives become poetry. That's what happens. And I want to introduce you to somebody called Greg Buell, whose life has become poetry. One of these poet saints who inspires us. First, I want to introduce you to him by means of a video, and then we'll talk to him in person. So uh, I want you to watch this. I'm, I'm inviting you to watch this video that John Harrison, who's our videographer here at um, UPC, introduced us to. The phrase I heard in my family a lot was, just be normal. Just be normal. Suck it up. Go to school. Have a good day. I was born without arms, and uh, my parents didn't know that I was going to be born without arms until I popped out. Originally, the doctors told my parents that I would never walk, never eat on my own, never live on my own, that I would be requiring you know, 24 hours of care throughout the rest of my life. And so, pretty bleak prognosis from the doctors when I was born. Hey man, how's it going? Not too bad. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Yeah, I was probably in my mid-20s when a friend asked me and said, do you recognize that you're different? That there's something about you that you can't escape and that you are inherently different and no matter what you try to do to minimize it, like there's something that stands out. And so I think what it took later in life is that second phase of that there's a certain level of difference that you can't mask and that you need to own that and that you need to be comfortable with who you are in that in order to really you know, develop as a person and mature as a person. We have a buyout from the client on the creative concepts. They do a fundraiser every spring in May. That's a major donor fundraiser. And so they're basically saying, we get a ton of great resource from that fundraiser about people who get up and share how their lives have been changed dramatically. Okay. And they're saying, why couldn't we just feature one of those stories and make it really emotional? Sure. For some reason, I always think of you know, creation as a conveyor belt. Was God just not paying attention when I went by on the conveyor belt and wasn't able to correct things? Was he present and literally made me this way with the disability? I think those are the conversations that keep coming up, is to keep asking God why. Like, I just don't get it. So I think one of the key passages for me is John 9 with the man born blind. The, there's a guy born blind, the Pharisees ask Jesus, trying to trick him into you know, getting caught in a conundrum. 
Like, who sinned? Did his parents or did he sin that he would be born blind? And Jesus says, it's neither his parents nor he who sinned, it's for my glory. Are you kidding me? Like, I was created this way for a little bit more glory? I can stare at the mountains and get a ton of glory from God's creation. You really needed me, this tiny little human, to offer you a tiny bit more glory that pales in comparison to everything else? Like, I don't like that answer. I don't like the fact that I have to deal with everything on a day-to-day basis in a totally different way that makes me stand out and look different and struggle with things. I don't like that answer as to why I was made this way. But at some level, in order to live and not be stuck in not being able to get out of bed in the morning, (laughs) I've got to allow for some mystery and say, I just don't get it right now, but I'm going to choose to trust and choose to move on and choose to live out what I've been given. Because if there's one hope that I have, it's that I've haven't been created this way or made this way or evil hasn't affected my body in some way to make me be born this way for no reason. I'm hopeful that there's a reason for this and I have maybe yet to discover all of those details, but at least I can live my life out in a way that is hopefully helping other people learn. It's a real gift to get to know Greg and hear his story. So let's welcome Greg up to finish talking with us some more tonight. Hey. So um, I loved watching this film the first time. I'm wondering, you know, when you see that, what, what's your response uh, to it? I remember your mom's response. I love this. Your mom thought it was a trailer for a feature-length film for you, didn't she? <laughs> she, thought, so, she thought it would be longer. I think she was I know. A little, a little I know. Your life is worth longer, isn't it? So anyway, but what was it? What do you think when you see when you uh, watch I, that? I think that video captures uh, a sense of melancholy that maybe coworkers and friends have told me they don't experience as much in my day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my coworkers refers to it as my sad video. Um, <laughs> so if that tells you anything, uh, but I, I think there's a, a certain part of wrestling that I do. Uh, with God and in, in my mind that often doesn't come out. So there's a lot of humor and a lot of joy that comes out in a day that uh, maybe this video doesn't capture. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you have to have had some experiences that are just a little crazy. Yeah, I would say probably one of the funnier moments where it brings together, you know, the challenge of living with a disability, but the humor of it all is I was on a flight coming back from Atlanta several years ago, and there was a woman beside me who just refused to believe I could actually eat and drink on my own. And so she attempted to force feed me a cracker for the first several minutes of the flight while I'm trying to back up and tell her, like, I can do this on my own. Um, so it's, I think it's in those moments you realize that you're dealing with challenges that maybe others don't have to, but you also have to sort of laugh and have humor at the just outrageous situation that you're in yeah. and, and be able to laugh about it and, yeah. and enjoy it. 
Well, we spoke before, and um, uh, I know that you do a lot of speaking in different places. Greg went to Seattle Pacific University and is undergraduate and also has a master's from what was Mars Hill, now a Seattle School of Theology and Psychology. Um, and, and you work here in Seattle, do some commuting over to Paul's Bow, but you also go and you speak in places about loving people with uh, disabilities, about, about courage, about life. Um, but you distinguish between being an inspirational speaker and a motivational speaker. Why don't, talk about that for a second. Yeah. I think what I'm trying to get at is that we have to acknowledge what our story is and what our life entails. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think many motivational speakers will get up in front of you and, and, and seem like they're ignorant of their own situation. You know, my life is great, everything's perfect, God's wonderful, just go get things done. It's easy I think as I've that. I've preached a few of those sermons, actually. It's <laughs> actually a little silly. Uh, and I, so I think what I hope to bring to this situation in conversations like this is a reality of looking at the story that you are in, mm-hmm. which is sometimes hard, which sometimes raises qu- questions and anger, and being able to process through that. Because I think if you're ignorant of a challenge and you're going to speak about it, I don't think that's real motivational. Right. I think if you look the challenge in the eye, and you recognize what the challenge is and how major of an obstacle it might be, yeah. and then you overcome it, I yeah. think that's more inspirational and motivational than anything else I can offer. Anything else, yeah. And that's kind of where these wisdom and poetry books come in too, aren't they? Where uh, uh, there isn't just the shellac of false religion, but what's actually yeah. going on. Where in the poetry books have, have you found language or models for how to wrestle with God on some of this? You know, I, I think Psalms is probably the biggest one. Um, I know uh, I often read the Psalms as seeming like David has got this sort of hot, cold, you know, going to Psalm 23, we're talking about streams and pastures and right. lovely sheep. And then other Psalms, David is saying, you know, kill my enemies. God, do you know what you're doing? Where are you? Mm-hmm. You know, you're crazy. You know, help me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it goes through these ups and downs that I think gives me a perspective of what I can, uh, how I can relate to God. Right. Um, I think as, as we often think about human relationships and we think about conflict or we think about anger, that we think about those human relationships backing up from us or giving us space or yeah. being distant for a period of time following that, that interaction. And I think the fact that God calls David a man after his own heart in these interactions of highs and lows and anger and challenges and threats Mm-hmm. That God still loves David through that gives me a model for what I can do for, with God and right. who I can be in relationship with God. Yeah, you've talked about engaging that mystery of, of God. And, uh, uh, and you've also talked about some other uh, places as lamentations and, yeah. and, and things like that. Yeah, it wasn't actually really even until grad school that we were encouraged to uh, write a lament that I thought to myself, oh, lamentations, okay, mm-hmm. this all is coming together for me. Um, <laughs> And so I think, I think thinking through that and, and just relaying to God what those challenges were at that time for me in that assignment mm-hmm. and, and just challenging him and being angry and, again, the story of Jacob wrestling with God, really wrestling with God. Right. To be met in that and to have a God who sat with me through that and who was present right. and didn't push back and didn't run away uh, was incredible. Yeah. So what's the difference then between you know, just complaining at God because uh, you were born without arms and lamenting before God? Are they, does one just sound holy? <laughs> there, there's probably actually some truth to that. I, um, I, I think there is a fine line sometimes. So earlier this week, I was just uh, dealing with a situation of getting a car adapted so I can steer with my feet. And mm-hmm. I was texting friends and family and saying, this is when it really sucks to not have arms. Right. And so I think there are those honest moments that I think that you go to God with 
And I think that's maybe where the woman comes in to go to God and say, I don't want to do this. I'm done. Like, this is all I can handle. Yeah. Um, and to share that in a community of folks who can support you in that, I think is the, the part of lamenting and what the uh, wisdom literature shows us here and what the poetry shows us mm. is that God holds us in that as long as we're able to communicate with him and to, to fight it out with him. Yeah, I like that image of God holding us in that. So where do you still wrestle with God? You know, I think there's a lot of, around just physical nature yeah. of living with a disability. Uh, you guys probably saw in the video there a lot of flexibility that's required for me to do my hair, to cook, etc. I'm in my mid-30s and starting to have knee problems already from overuse on my knees. Um, a lot of days just driving home at the end of the day, feeling worn out and exhausted, especially if it was a long work day or right. you know, some, some sort of activity that had gone on. And just saying to God, you know what, God, like, I, don't, I don't get why. Like, this is way harder than it needs to be. And like I questioned in the video, is, is that additional effort that requires of me worth a little bit of more glory? And so I think the, that's a, a key place for me. I think relationships and interactions become another place for me. Uh, I often meet people and, and you'll, you'll meet them, you'll make eye contact, and then they stand back and they do this to me. Of like, and I'm like, yeah, I don't have arms. I'm right here talking to you. Um, and so I think... I think, I think interactions like that, I think meeting new clients. Right. Uh, I meet new clients at work and I'm shocked that we can sit in a conference room for eight hours and I'm eating with my feet at the table and there's just like no knowledge of the elephant in the room, you know, no, yeah. no acknowledgement of that. And then I think relationships and dating is probably another area. It's that question of what role does my disability play versus does it not? Yeah. Yeah. And if I'm always thinking about my disability being a huge problem, I'm yeah. never going to get past that. But if I don't acknowledge that my disability could be playing a factor in a relationship, and especially in a dating relationship, then that becomes a problem as well. So I think it's almost a question of how much responsibility is on me in social interactions to reach out to help people feel comfortable around me versus how much is required of other people to meet me in that and the curiosity and the questions that they might have. And so I think it's always a, a give and take as far as trying to figure out where that stands in relationship. Yeah, absolutely. So what about, like, for us as a community that wants to learn how to do this, to live in this space, uh, teach us. What do we need to know? What do we need to learn? You know, I think the book of Job probably gives the best example of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you get Job's friends who are all joining in, and some have answers, some have trite comments, some want to give him the specific advice of steps he should take. Um, and I, I think a community of, of believers who sits with one another, who listens, who don't have to speak uh, in those moments. They don't have to feel compelled to give all the answers. They don't have to feel compelled to find a scripture that fits the situation. Mm -hmm. Those who can just sit with a person and weep or laugh or mourn or celebrate whatever the occurrence is, I think is a a community of friends, believers, uh, to be able to hold that. I think Job gives a, a great uh, example of that. That's an example. We're so, we feel so much safer, don't we, either like talking about the Bible or being an expert opinion than just sitting in the vulnerable mystery place, don't we? So, yeah. Well, I would love to pray for you, Greg, but would you also please pray for us and commission us to be that kind of uh, a community? Yeah. So um, I don't know what I would have said if you said no. That would have been embarrassing. <laughs> but, um, let me pray. And then why don't you go ahead and pray? Lord Jesus, we do thank you and praise you for Greg. Thank you for the, the gift and the wonder and the beauty of his life. Thank you for his grace in sharing his story with us and uh, his openness to us. We pray you encircle and surround him and go before him. Would you please work out these conflicts and details around his car? 
uh, keep him safe as he travels in the meantime. We pray that you give strength and healing to his knees and just the sheer physical exertion on his body. Continue to give him your grace in heart and mind, body and soul as he looks to you and seeks to follow you wholeheartedly. Uh, we love him and we commend him to you. Dear Lord, we pray that we can come to you as a community, that myself, that others here, that UPC can learn to wrestle with you, to be broken with one another and transparent with one another, and to hold each other in those moments, much like you hold us. We pray, Lord, that you would allow us to, to throw the punches, to rant, to vent our anger to you, and that you would continue to hold us in your presence. We also, Lord, pray for the day when all things will be made new. Mm -hmm. And that's the paradox of the situation, to be able to wrestle with you in the current moment, but hope for the day of renewal, the day when all things shall be as they should have been in the first place. Mm -hmm. Pray that you just continue to guide us and allow us that presence with one another around us in our community. In your name, amen. Amen. Great, thank you so much. Thank you. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.